I had this most delicious avocado toast in a restaurant today, Hasita. I must take you there. But you know, I just keep wondering like why can't I make this stuff at home? I mean, it's it's simple, right? You just scoop out the fruit and you add a little salt and some chopped onions and I should have the same guacamole, and but it just doesn't taste the same. I mean, I buy it online and they look green on Big Basket. And I don't know. <laughs> they look green. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I genuinely think that the people who supply to restaurants and larger outlets and, you know, the stuff that we buy online is probably vastly different, Subha. It's quite interesting you mention avocados because uh, the guest that we have today uh, has done something phenomenal. He's figured out how to sell coffee, how to sell avocados, and how to really sell the estate dream in a way, primarily using Instagram as a channel. So let's find out a bit more, I think. Oh, wow. I'm already in awe if somebody is able to grow their business through Instagram. Yeah, yeah. And I know we have a ton of questions for this person. <laughs> so <laughs> let's dive right in. Welcome to the Damn Good Marketing Podcast. Today, Subha and I discuss two of our favorite things, food and social media. <laughs> we have with us today, Pranoy Tipaya, Managing Partner at Kereha Club. Now, if you're not familiar with Kereha Club, what are you doing? Please go give them a follow on Instagram. Their Instagram handle is in the show notes. And just give them two days, guys, and they'll sell you. They'll sell you on the idea of good specialty coffee. They'll educate you. They'll entertain you. And more, more than anything, I think they've really mastered the art of the two-way conversation on a platform like Instagram. So let's find out from Pranoy how to achieve this unicorn status of organic growth, especially when Instagram keeps changing its algorithm every single day. Yes, we must. I mean... If you can get away without singing and dancing and grow your business, I'm all ears. Oh, I swear to God, there is no singing and dancing on this account at all. You just have to see it to believe it. <laughs> so, Like you said, I'm just so happy to talk about our two favorite things. And uh, Pranoy, we're happy to have you here because our two favorite things are coffee and social media. And you bring it together for us today. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. And um, it's a pleasure to be here. For the uninitiated, a little bit of context. So apart from uh, being the managing partner for Kereha Club, Pranay also is a brand consultant for music albums, producers and bands. Uh, and I think the thing that really catches me a, a little by surprise here is that Pranay has two public accounts on Instagram. Uh, both of them dealing, one of them is obviously for Kere Haglu and one for himself. Uh, and both of them seem to be doing pretty well by the looks of it. Uh, so Pranoy, how do you even keep at it, you know, uh, given that Instagram has this tendency to keep changing things overnight, to keep, uh, you know, putting people in a bit of a tough spot in terms of, hey, today we are doing reels, tomorrow we are doing stories, the day after maybe we exist or we don't. So how do you just keep at it for so long? I think uh, it comes from having a vision of what you want to put out and it depends on the story that you want to tell and there's multiple avenues of telling that story uh, at least that's how I look at it and so yeah, uh, yeah like, like you mentioned with Kerry Haklu it's very much even that journey has sort of evolved over the course of four years um, digitally or virtually and um, and now personally, uh, working with music festivals and sort of in the event space, uh, that is a very recent 
venture mm. almost uh, in comparison. But yeah, I, it's not that I hadn't been active on it. I just been a bit more on like a private profile kind of thing. But uh, um, so yeah, it's just uh, being um, finding something which I think is a niche or a vision which maybe is lacking or something that is already there which you can improve upon and. Yeah, just going at it again and again and again. Speaking of keeping at it, uh, particularly in the context of Kere Haklu, you're also trying to do two very different things, right? You're growing a business and you're also building a brand. While they do run parallelly, they're not one and the same thing. So do you also invest in maybe some amount of paid effort or paid push or is it just organic? And what's your rationale either way for doing that? It's been completely organic. Um, wow. Okay. <laughs> Just give us a minute to recover from that. <laughs> okay, go on. <laughs> Not a single uh, paid post or story or back in the Facebook days, paid Facebook posts also, or the meta posts, I guess. We don't, I don't even open Facebook on it. I haven't opened Facebook as uh, with Kerry Aklu on my private account in about two, three years, uh, more or less. Um, okay. I found that when I entered... Um, starting to document and put out uh, what I did. Instagram was just taking off or already had taken off, but mm-hmm. I saw Facebook dying out. Like I didn't find any value there and I didn't find any, the right kind of creatives in those circles. And so I thought I would be limiting myself if, or maybe even shooting myself in the foot if I'm putting that much effort into a dying website, as opposed to something which even at the time, I remember there were no stories. Um, You could only post like, square photos i remember you couldn't Hmm. yeah yeah that's interesting because another medium that uh, uh, we aren't on so much but a lot of people find traction is twitter and i guess uh, was it that you know you have such visual content that twitter never really made sense Uh, like how how is that choice between twitter and let's say i I get that facebook is starting to die down but how do you choose do you never go for something like twitter if you've got visual content so actually, I created a Twitter account during the lockdown. I think it's the last year, 2021. It's not like literally I've done like five, six tweets and <laughs> and this is just like a handful of followers. My dad is actually very active on Twitter. And recently I oh. have been as well because I follow it for mycology, football. A lot of my other interests come from there and the uh, sort of information that goes into it. Um, but yeah, it exactly hit the nail on the head where it is, I wanted a visual engagement. So when I started working there full-time and I see that in air quotes because I don't know what full-time is anymore, <laughs> but um, it I found that a lot of things were blowing my mind. You know, the, I was like, wow, something as simple as an elderly lady who works for us called Lakshmama, um, winnowing some pepper to uh, someone else sort of, I don't know, uh, climbing a tree and uh, chopping the branches off. I just found it so interesting to myself. And so... But that Mm. has been the sort of philosophy where like I am learning or I am seeing, why don't you learn with me? Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the core mandate that really ties so much of that Instagram account together as well, because you've done, uh, you know, ask me anything sessions over an entire weekend where you've answered pretty much every question under the sun about coffee. And even within uh, the ecosystem of Kere Haklu, you have estate stays, which is core hospitality. Then you have coffee, which again is a, you know, it's a very different ball game compared to selling a lot of other produce. And then you have avocados, of course, some of which are, you know, breaking world records for being as big as they are. 
so in that context, how taxing do you really find? Because this is a full-time job in itself, right? And then being a creator on Instagram is again, something that takes a lot of time. Are there days when you just don't want to do something on Instagram? And if so, do you do it? Do you not? Like, do you, do you be in servitude of the algorithm or do you just go with the flow? So it's funny because in the last six months, um, my answer to that question has changed a lot. Like <laughs> now, if I open my carry her clue DMs in the message request section, there's about 50, 60 unopened messages. And yeah. it's unfortunate because I shouldn't be doing that. It's people legitimately asking, hey, how can I get the avocados? Or hey, how can I um, yeah. book a cabin to stay? But it reached a point for me because it's so personal and my voice behind it that I was like, hey, I'm going to do it when I want to do it. And mm. um, I was under no obligation. I felt no obligation of, hey, you know what? I, I have to reply or I have to put this up where I used to, for sure. There's no doubt about it where maybe before December, so maybe just over six months ago now, I felt the need to post at least twice a week, like you mentioned, to yeah. uh, be part, uh, at least one of the mainstays in the algorithm to be in people's minds, more or less, you know. But then also it's a fine line between um, quality and quantity. I've never ever made a, you have to post every day to be in people's minds where it would compromise on the quality. And so um, that's where I'm at now. But uh, I do think in the time that, it, like whatever, the four years that it's been uh, having Instagram in particular, and that's something I've analyzed a lot, um, you do need to ride that wave of algorithms now more than ever. Yeah. With reels coming in and the kind of engagement changing, it's, if you notice, it's no longer leading. It's never a call to action, which helps you. It's often like hmm. you'll get engagement where someone will see what you post, but it's not yeah. often they'll follow you and then go ahead. Very, very often will they actually go to your, click on your website from there. That's a small percentage. So yeah. it's about gripping these attention spans in different ways and hoping that you can convince them enough to want to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, this is something we've been discussing during the last episode as well, uh, where we, I mean, I literally, when there's a new TV show coming out and if it's something that I've been obsessed with for a while, then I just follow that page for the period of time during which the show is releasing and because I want to be in on the action and then I just go and follow the page. So to just kind of keep up, right. And not just people's attention, but also a certain amount of interest and intention behind it over a period of time is so much harder and uh, in fact, this is a question that Subha wanted to ask as well. How do you feel about the whole real situation where I know we were flooded with everything from chartered accountants to doctors dancing to various tunes and pointing in random directions. Yeah. And I understand the need for that reach. But when you know that not having it is probably a little bit harmful, uh, how do you balance it? And also, what's the larger goal here, right? Because like you said, if people are not clicking on the website links or if people are not going somewhere, uh, does it still make business sense for you as a platform? Do you see it that way? No, that's a good question. And, and to be honest, uh, I have someone on board as a creative consultant and we were talking about it on Friday about how um, basically where I'm at now is I want to sort of get other perspectives on what I can put out, but still be me doing it. And yeah. so with Reels, uh, unfortunately, it could quite possibly be the the death of still photography, you know, as we, <laughs> it's that, true. You know yeah. especially in wildlife and in nature, that's what the large bunk, bulk of our documentation is. It's still photos. And yeah. um, 
even with when you post a still photo now you are able to put a sound on it and I, sometimes i don't want to put a song or a sound <laughs> you know, like yeah yeah like a few words or a few sentences and so um but that's the nature of the beast you can't fight it i think there still can be a sort of curated way of going about it like i realized that for me what has i mean i haven't done many reels maybe but seven or eight over the last I mean, two two years, I guess. Uh, ones have like blown up as well. Some of them done okay with a few thousand views. One hit like a hundred thousand or something like that. Which I know now. Suddenly, I've seen people with one million views in two days. Yeah, from, yeah, yeah. All <laughs> these numbers in certain ways, but uh, all comparative in a sense. Um, but uh, yeah, even then, I try to sort of weave it into the philosophy of what we do. Um, for me, what appeals to people visually is. uh in in the coffee space is actually brewing of the coffee or the experience of serving it or in 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 maybe conservation and also in food it's very visual that close very interactive where the camera is panning around almost not really virtual reality but almost you almost feel it yeah so, yeah um, yeah i think i uh, this is a good wake up call for me because maybe i should be posting one one reel a week now <laughs> or not you know <laughs> or not yeah uh, please stay stay what feels true yeah. but uh, you know you, you were mentioning like the kind of the death of still photography and sometimes it feels like the death of good copy also you know like is anyone reading anything at all because um, you, for your kind of work there's there's a story to tell right i mean there's the imagery but there's also um, that really shines when you then read that story about the plantation or about what the work you're doing and the people who are doing it a reel is an easy out because you you mostly you don't read any of the captions there you just scroll to the next one so how do you you know what what goes into what you're saying like do you think about you know is this compelling enough story or do you just do you just say it like it is and and um, you know you found an audience that enjoys that Yeah it's you know that's interesting and I completely agree people don't read and it could be the the death of reading in a sense on social media where it's like okay um I've had that sort of dilemma where I'm like should I limit this to two sentences and really 10 photos with that mm-hmm. um but uh, I like speaking I feel like even like all the gen like my dad and my grandmom in particular now are two people who still tell me a lot of stories quite like almost on the daily and so i enjoy that and um try and like even today i posted something about the rainfall uh passing 67 inches for the year and those are literally numbers that i my dad told me when i got off the phone with him and so it's often what i hear what i apply to my surroundings um but i it was interesting actually because i was traveling in bombay last week and i met someone who had been following my page for about a year now and they said to me that um the writing come comes across as um a good kind of sensitive and a good kind of aware and they were unsure at the time if um if you can stereotype so much but uh, they weren't sure if it was a, a who was running the guy a girl young or old and i i like that i enjoyed that because mm-hmm. um i don't think it it it's never been i mean obviously i've got to immerse myself into it but it's never been about me but the stories i feel should still come across through writing and i've sort of thought about blogs or newsletters to add as a tab on our website um but then again it's just another additional step which um i find that maybe like right now with 
if I can combine it of doing like, let's say, I find that stories are really good and I really enjoy telling stories in a way, there's a low pressure where you don't have to like it, you don't have to comment, you just scroll, scroll, scroll. Mm -hmm. And so I just put a nice photo or a 15 second video with two lines to go with it where it's not too much reading and then you go to the next one. And so it's a balance. I think it's, it's ever changing. Who knows what will happen next if there's no captions allowed or whatnot. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so true. And it's quite interesting, right? Because it reminds me of the other page that I enjoy following so much. And that's Parama, uh, who's an apparel, uh, basically, she sells clothes. But then I think more than that, she sells stories, right? Uh, she's a lawyer. She was a lawyer in a past life. And now she's making these beautiful clothes. And she's just evoking such a sense of nostalgia around what it means to own some of these pieces. And I personally have absolutely no issues reading her really long format posts because they're, they're stories of that quality and variety. Uh, but purely as a marketing engine, sometimes, you know, who, who do vanity metrics help, right? I think they help the platform. So uh, if people stay on the platform for longer, it's good for the platform because they can do more ads. But that's not really a business outcome for the people who are spending their time and effort there. Uh, so Pranay, just being very objective, Instagram as a marketing vehicle for you, uh, do you really see that contributing in any way? And if so, what ways uh, do you think it benefits your business? Honestly, 100% it's benefited our business in all our avenues in over the four years. Um, uh, different ways as time passed. Um, at the start, it was very much, I remember when I made the account first, it was very much literally finding people to, pick up our weekly avocado harvest in the monsoon months. Yeah. Um, then as my personal journey went along, um, getting people to understand what happens at the grassroots or at the ground level of specialty coffee in particular in India and South India, that is that has that within itself has multiple avenues because um, one, we are able to get more I would say conscious and ecologically sort of mindful tourists come and stay and yeah. a small change in that, which I noticed this year, which, which I felt really happy about is that in general, anyway, over the last three, four years, we have a young, not always young, but younger crowd coming in um, than before, I would say because of Instagram, but also what I felt uh, really special about was uh, in January, I had a, there's a young couple who came from Gurgaon and they flew into Bangalore and they got a car and things like that. And uh, they said, hey, we've been following you for a while. Can we come to the yard with you? But also they asked me, hey, can we borrow a pour over and a gooseneck kettle because we'd like to brew our own coffee. And oh, wow. <laughs> it may sound like a small thing, but it's such a significant change in the mindset of people coming. Mm, you know, yeah. because it's someone who's been like, oh, hey, you know what? I'm in Gurgaon, but I really like my coffee. I really like the my neighborhood cafe and maybe this estate, let's look them up or however they came across it. But then it's more like, hey, we're going to go there. I'd love to learn this. I'd love to ask you about uh, elephants and things like that. But in general, um, for sure, uh, in making sales with uh, my produce in general, I, I really enjoyed that because it, even there, it's a fine line where I would much rather have face-to-face -face interactions with people where I am the producer behind the stall at a farmer's market and someone comes and chooses an avocado, asks me how to use it, asks me when yeah. it will go ripe at the moment. And in the last couple of years, it's been very virtual. But um, that's just how it is. I mean, I'm, it's, I mean, it had to be virtual, you know, at the start of COVID and had to be very much 
cater to your needs at home kind of situation um so it's helped a lot i would say also in the in the general uh, brand recognition you walk mm. into a certain cafe and you're like okay cool I've, i've heard of this i've known known them i've known uh, that family who runs the place i will i would rather if i don't know the estates so much i will go with that because i know that they are quite possibly doing the right things yeah that's a great point and also uh, the avocado and uh, smoked tofu recipe you shared last week was amazing yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was really really tasty i wasn't expecting that <laughs> so yeah uh, prana you've spoken on uh, another podcast before about why you prefer to do this exercise yourself uh, in the context especially i think of a lot of brands also choosing to outsource an exercise of this variety to agencies like the one that i that we run and there are benefits and there are obviously pitfalls to both right in the sense that with an agency sometimes we find that the typical ask can give is you know around the number of posts or around the number of hours spent versus the number of outcomes sometimes in in cases like these so if at any point in time uh, you had to consider probably outsourcing this what would be maybe the one or two questions that you would ask uh because you've done this right and you know exactly how it needs to be done uh so what would be your sincher in terms of you know choosing somebody else to do it not necessarily an agency but maybe even a person yeah it's I a good think, point uh, sorry i think uh, before that uh, i think before that even can you outsource it like do you think that mm. um someone can tell the story because there'll be an effort involved yeah. in you telling them the story and then um you know unless maybe someone's like on that estate with you who are uh, you know is is coming by often enough uh, so do you think like for something like yours you could even potentially outsource this no it's a very good i i i personally and my journey uh, i think agencies work if it's very specific to the industry and for me it's f&b coffee and let's say travel those are the three industries that i'm a part of or tourism as opposed to travel and um i think now the game has changed so much that more than an agency if you have an individual with an artistic mindset of being able to communicate your brand and if you have products create a little story or a multifaceted means of communication of your brand i think that goes a long way I agree with you that you would need someone to be able to paint that whole picture because unless you're here or unless wherever you let's say you're launching a beer brand unless you're in that brewery or something like that you you wouldn't understand it fully and it wouldn't be true so to say it won't be the excuse me the entire entire um essence of what you're trying to put across but um I think it's possible now and it's something that uh I am considering with my sort of advisory and consultancy gigs on the side now as an individual where I think that is a way of because again it's a product is one thing a lifestyle is even one thing but then making that appealing making it palatable making it making someone to want to want that that then mm. that's that's a whole other ball game you know and so I think it works I don't like I I have a few friends um, my friend Ria Sanghi she runs a thing called the small batch company um I've seen her grow um from she used to be with Dutokai um with the communications and social media when I when I met her and now she has a team of I believe 
12 people, which is a pretty big team, and they're just running social media accounts and creatives for a bunch of um, primarily F&B, but a lot of small small businesses and small to medium businesses across India. And there's immense room for that. Like I get approached all the time for that, being like, hey, can you consult for my brand? And I often have, I'm like, what do you have in mind? Like, what is your first first few steps? Because yeah, everyone wants a shortcut, but there isn't. <laughs> you no. Know? Yeah. Speaking yeah. of shortcuts, what yeah. were your early wins? You know, because I do understand that what growth growth is always a curve, and you see better results over a period of time. So, in the early days, maybe the first six months, the first one year, were you even looking? Uh, to the platform for some kind of validation that you were on the right path or was it just something that you genuinely enjoyed and you kept at it for long enough and therefore it's become what it has? I, I genuinely enjoyed it pretty much all the time, like from the time I was putting it across and I put it across in what I thought were the layperson's terms where it was very much easy to understand. I would say in a way being the first mover on the growing or the agricultural side in coffee was a great thing where um, now there's a there's hundreds of people doing it, to be honest, and hundreds of accounts. And don't get me wrong, that's actually very beneficial for everyone. We need to. And yeah. as, especially when you're growing these things and you are trying to build a culture of consumption of a beverage, you need people to know more about it. It's up to you to tell your story about your family, your land, your history, and each each is different, you know, but um, I think the small wins were being able to sort of occupy that niche and tell this story, which again has has really blown my mind. And then I find people who are also fascinated by it, and a lot of it actually came from my friends saying, "Hey, that's a cool story. You should tell people." Or, "Hey, that's a really cool whatever a cabin you have. You should take very nice photos." And I'm like, "Okay, I I, I trust your judgment." <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's aspirational for those of us who are uh, seeing it from the outside, so to speak. So mm-hmm. we want the inside scoop. Yeah, <laughs> but like we've seen with the podcast as well, I think it's just uh, sometimes belief trumps everything else, and you just have to believe in it for long enough. Uh, and yeah, I agree. And it's it's easy to get caught up in the numbers game. Then mm-hmm. hey, I've only got fifty likes on this. Hey. Yeah, but it's. It's, and I'm here, I've been stuck on these many followers, which don't get me wrong, I've had uh, these thoughts for months and months on end when I'm mm. like, am I growing, so to say, uh, numerically? And um, But then, I don't know, it comes with that oh, that sort of, I guess, experience of being able to be like, hey, you know what? I've gripped this really engaged um, group of people who want to be aware. You know, it's not want to buy something or anything like that. And it's uh, I have this sort of I don't I don't know anything about like marketing in that sense and it's just been very much like I don't know like uh, being street smart I guess in a sense as opposed to being book smart about it and um, but I was my friend of mine Dia told me uh, maybe two years ago now and it's a phrase that really sticks in my head is you don't sell the sausage you sell the sizzle and so <laughs> the story behind it you're not selling the product you know and um, that's what it is. Beautiful. And I think street smart is the best kind of smart there is in any yeah. case. And it's clearly working for you. So why yeah. not? We wanted to talk to you a little bit more about uh, the collaborations and partnerships that you take up because you've collaborated with pastry chefs. And then, of course, there's the blue Tokai uh, part of things, which is, you know, a lot of people 
at some point, if you're doing good work on the coffee growing side, you can be part of the Blue Toka ecosystem. But not a lot of people get to take their Instagram account over and do the series of stories that you did. So did these partnerships evolve as a result of Instagram or was Instagram just the vehicle where they panned out? Did you know the people? So in, my question to you really is, are you building these relationships outside of digital media and then they're translating to an online platform or is it the other way around? Are you meeting people because of Instagram? Uh, I would say both, but more now it's more offline and I've realized the value of being a business person, of being meeting the person, even if not face-to-face, just having a Zoom call and being like, are we aligned across the board? And then okay, cool, uh, what's next? Do we meet each other's sort of expectations with whatever produce or product it might be? But a lot of them, I must admit, when I first started out, I was kind of cheeky about it where I there was a WhatsApp group, uh, I remember, called the Coffee Brewers Club, C- India CBC. And it was just okay. 100 people back then. And I was just put on it by a friend who, and I, again, back then I was 25 and really didn't really know much about coffee and uh but i was like hey let's let's just see what's out there and i just remember spending nights on end being like okay what is who is running blue tokai who's running mm-hmm. Sapo, who's running all the big names corridor seven and figuring it out and uh, funnily enough uh, a lot of people i've met is because i just went to their instagram page and i liked all their photos and then they must have been like who's <laughs> who is this like my photos and they looked looked at it and they found it engaging so they liked it and a few few of them started off that way and we're actually very good friends now. So I'm all about that, even in in like personally and professionally. Like I feel like the virtual world is one that you have to wait. I don't know about the metaverse and things, but like things where it's yourself. Um, you have to tread lightly, of course, and be, mm. I guess, wary about things, off things. But uh, there's some great relationships, friendships that I've made through the virtual world, through social media in particular. And so... Um, but also solidified real life interactions and been like, hey, you know what, we can take this to the next mm-hmm. level and document it or share it publicly now. You know, speaking of next level, like, what are you thinking? What comes next? Like, and how do you see it? Like, is it going to be that steady organic growth? And that's, that's what we should think about for businesses like this, or, you know, small businesses? Or are you always trying to think of that one thing which could make it exponential and it could just kind of, you know, skyrocket and, and hit everywhere? I don't... Yeah, to be very honest, I feel like I'm on the cusp of taking things to a huge level. How I do that is entirely up to me. Um, I think it's there's a few ways where I can sort of channel these avenues, but also at the same time, now, honestly, I'm having a bit more fun with it. Now that I'm like a little less emotionally attached to social media. <laughs> I like genuinely now if just say tomorrow morning, we got an email and said your Instagram is no longer an app. I, I wouldn't say <laughs> it'll, it'll suck because a lot of your work is gone on that. But like, I don't think I'd feel that bad because I was a bit of a realization where I was like, okay, cool. What I do is very much people resonated with it at home or in a cafe mm-hmm. or in a in a chef's kitchen or something like that. But um, uh, coming back to your question, I think, yeah, it's it's wanting to, I think I've always wanted to sort of do something that has never been done before, but also do something that has been done before, but differently. I feel like that's the beauty of 
agriculture in general, where I've always described it as a combination of, or at least carrying out clue, the combination of traditional and modern practices. And so um, I think there's always room, there's a bit of wiggle room there for yourself to be like, hey, you know what, what do people want? What can I tell? What can I sort of show? And then, then you have to sort of organize that sort of the drop, so to say. So in a way, the story takes first priority always and everything else yeah, is just sure. basically secondary. Mm-hmm. Sure. Quite interesting because uh, I think we all do fall into the numerical traps. Uh, we all do have these uh, moments when we have no idea whether what we're doing is working or whether it's not. Uh, but what you've really, I think, shown us today is that the right way to go about it is the other way around and to just focus on having fun and put good stuff out there and believe that things will work out uh, because I think that's what people do resonate with eventually. I think on that note, we undervalue word of mouth nowadays. <laughs> so true. We really so don't. True. But the amount of people I've met who said, hey, my friend told me about your account and I've been following you for two years. We forget about that. It's it's huge. Where it's like, especially like like anything else. If you're going on a holiday and you want a friend's record a recommendation about where to eat or stay or whatever it might be, you will take their word for it. You know, and just say yeah. a coffee buff or a foodie who loves avocados, and someone's like, "Hey, you'd really like this account. You you will like that account most likely, or you yeah. at least check it out and you'll make that decision for yourself." And so. More than it popping up on a hashtag or a suggested post or something like that, it's often sent to your inbox or physically told you told to you in person or something like that. And so that is something where it's it's yeah, we can't account for it or quantify it, but it's it's an immeasurable sort of tool. Yeah. No, no, you're right. I think it is quite a force to reckon with and all of us are also thinking and acting a little differently, right? Like we genuinely Uh, seek out these stories and referrals from our friends and we look at opportunities to try something new or support a small business or support a new brand and uh, I think we're all very conscious that it makes a difference Uh, you know today if she goes to a small little bookstore and finds a nice collection she she'll put it out there four of us will see it and we will also go there and we're very conscious that it it does help exactly yeah and a lot of that will not show up in your attribution it will not show up in your platform metrics but the fact is that it's happening nevertheless yeah yeah agreed uh what we have now uh is a segment that we call topical uh <laughs> topical is also a cat not this one though uh <laughs> so the idea is to just keep it you know a bit lighthearted towards the end uh just give people something to maybe chuckle about maybe not uh so you get on with it and now it's time for the much awaited topical so the first question uh pranay is if you were handed a ton of coffee today and you were told that you have to sell all of it by next month and use only instagram what would you do oof so roasted coffee if it was um i would really try first and foremost to find out every single detail about where it's grown how it's grown who it's grown by how old it is what varietal it is when those plants were grown um how many de- everything everything in excel sheet with all the details i would ask for a sample myself dose them very different ways um uh, what we call cupping or a sensorial analysis of it um 
and then start a marketing plan where it is if it is it's just say a quality of a pretty good standard is you have to look at the bigger boys and that would be like sort of um b2b so like cafes would power through a lot of coffee on the yeah. week and so but otherwise also using instagram in this case it would have to be what i still find a big gap in the b2c world which i'm not fully tapping into as yet because i don't really it's not a priority but also bandwidth wise not ready for at the moment but uh, the retail b2c side is something that is dying for i would say new faces and new names um of a uh, sort of increasing capacities wow you know what i, I like the most here is that you didn't <laughs> you didn't seem shocked at the quantity <laughs> or the scale of the challenge yeah. you just said let me let me solve this yeah. problem now <laughs> yeah no i've yeah. i've been there i've been there <laughs> so as i was watching his face uh, you know i was thinking that i think uh, we should have we should have aimed much higher <laughs> i know like maybe 50 tons or 100 tons yeah. i don't know <laughs> so to give you context as well like when covid like when people don't realize that when i first jumped into the specialty coffee journey in november 2019 um at the end of the season was feb 2020 so it goes from november to feb and that's when covid happened and uh, we had i think 14 tons of coffee that i had processed and promised my dad that i would sell um sitting in this go down which i would walk past every single day and in my head i was like oh my god admitted <laughs> to this and so by all kinds of means i had to like pull rabbits out of the hat to get get that coffee out and um yeah so i've been so it's not that big a shock really yeah i've been yeah. in the, the deep end okay <laughs> so the next one is who's probably the one instagrammer that you would want to see drinking your coffee or maybe eating your produce and just tagging you who's that one person who you really really wish tries your produce probably sports people uh, i really like i think what i do and what i sort of um, i'm really proud of is that what we produce whether it's food or coffee is very much a part of a healthy diet and it's very much something that top level athletes can enjoy and so i watch a lot mm, of football actually in india probably i would say maybe sunil chetri captain of the indian football team i'd love for him to try mm. my avocados and I, I think it can be a really beneficial bit of diets of top level athletes, but uh, a number of footballers and maybe even golfers in the UK and Australia, I think, would be uh, a dream. And maybe I should start working on this. <laughs> Amazing! <laughs> How many types of coffee have you tasted, and is there one which is out there somewhere which you're which is still on your list? I've tasted. decent amount there's still a lot that i have been tried i really like uh, in coffee we describe them as different origins so where the coffee is from and so mm. uh, i really this year i'm uh, i'm actually going to new york next month where uh, someone who i work with uh, works with um, producers in burundi in africa and so i'm really keen to try coffee from burundi and uh, in my head uh, not only does it um, help me help my palate get more more exposed and understand what's out there but also it's it's always amazing to see small countries with not mm-hmm. so much infrastructure and very few thousand people 
do amazing things like this. And so I would say Burundi, but also some of the South American countries like um, uh, Ecuador and Colombia. There's, I said, there's, there's a lot I haven't tried as yet. Lots to look forward to, travels and coffee. Absolutely. So yeah, that actually brings us to the end of this segment. We hope you had fun. And uh, also the end of the podcast as such. Uh, thank you so much, Praraj. This was actually fun. And we've been looking forward to this so much. Yeah. Uh, because we, we'd, we'd made up our minds. We said we want to talk to someone who's been out there and who's done this before. And I think that's exactly what we got uh, from this conversation. Thank you so much. No, thank you both. Thank you both for having me. And it's uh, it's interesting because never before have I thought about it as sort of a talk about marketing in that sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In fact, I remember you said that on our scoping call as well. Yeah, like, <laughs> I never thought of this as a marketing exercise, which yeah. I think more of us could really benefit from. <laughs> but no, no, I'm really glad to have spoken about it. And uh, I, I really hope genuinely for all of us in India as a whole, we can grow so much if we just be proud about our stories and our backgrounds and told people about them so true thank you thank you so much thank you so much thank you both pleasure to be here that was really really worth it yeah I, you know I, I think a lot of people in in our networks just need to hear this that uh, uh, you've got a business and you know you have to be out there in some shape or form and you pick one and you be genuine and you stick with it and and you do what feels right for you and don't fall into these kind of traps that to traps that are changing daily so just just be you and 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 stick with it i think there uh, if if what you're selling if it's truly got a market fit i think it'll find its audience yeah yeah eventually you will find your tribe i think uh, so yeah. we also discussed this last week wherein we said we enjoy doing the podcast uh, mm. So let's just sign away from all the metrics for a while, mm. because mm. all they're doing is causing us a certain amount of anxiety in terms of you right. know who's listening to me. Uh, but the fact is that people are, and you know that's reassuring yeah. in and of itself. And I think also exactly it's exactly what you said, right? Uh, because it doesn't feel right to us sometimes, but we still push through, and that's mm. where that whole discomfort of wanting results too quickly also happens. Uh, because yeah. if we knew that we were doing the right thing, uh, then I don't think that question of time uh, would really come into the picture at all. And I think a good reminder, very sobering reminder for all of us uh, to just not focus on the numbers, such as followers, especially so much, because a lot of the network effects are happening in places that we don't really see, even even on digital platforms. Yeah, yeah, I think really truly don't look at the follower count, but just really nurture those who truly come enjoy your product or service and talk about it and and let that tribe grow absolutely absolutely thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the damn good marketing podcast where we finally discussed instagram with the person who's been there done that and who knows a thing or 10 things about how to make it on instagram while also having fun along the way links to every single example mentioned including kereha close instagram page are in the show notes and of course we are on LinkedIn we are just waiting for you to ask the questions so that we can answer them and have some fun together let's not forget the fun part guys <laughs> your cat did a lot of that jumping around oh damn yes <laughs> a damn good cat <laughs> yes <laughs> see you folks